0: This morning as we start out I have an exercise for you to do Uh, you don't have to stand up and do jumping jacks but there there is a procedure that I'd like you to enter into you're going to need a piece of paper pencil pen something to write on or a device that you can record on because I've got some questions I'd like you to answer and then I'm going to use those in my conclusion These are not anything you're gonna share with anybody else, these are just for you. Uh, you, If you have somebody next to you that doesn't have a pen or pencil, if you'd share that, that would be nice. But uh, these answers are just for your benefit. They may seem like strange questions, but when we get done, hopefully it makes some sense. Thank you, I hear rustling, I hear people, okay? Everybody got pencils? Pens, okay. I'd like everybody to participate, even the children, okay, if you've got something right on or whatever. Okay. Here we go. Question number one. When introducing yourself, how do you refer to yourself? Do you use your given name like Jennifer, Robert, Michael, Catherine? Do you use an abbreviated form of your name, Jen, Bob, Mike? Or do you use a nickname? Shorty, red, stinky, whatever. Uh, okay, how do you introduce yourself to someone? I know that's going to vary in circumstances and situations, etc., but in general, how do you introduce yourself? Number two, how do you usually think of yourself? What is your self identity? For example, some people think in terms of their political affiliation I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican. Others think about their work. I'm a plumber. I'm a teacher. Still others think about their role in life. I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a grandparent. I'm a child. How do you think of yourself primarily? Okay. What grid do you work through? Okay. If you had to identify one thing as a way in which you view yourself, what would be that one thing? That's going to take a little more thought, so... I'll give you a whole 20 seconds more. How do you think of yourself? Write something down, please. Thirdly, how do other people identify you? If they were going to describe you to someone, okay, and they were, they were going to try to identify you in some way, how would they do that, okay? In what way would you be known? For example, he's the football player, or she's the tall one, the smart one, the shy one, the person in the choir, the plumber, the butcher, how would someone identify you to someone else? What is the thing that would set you apart, if you would? What would be known about you? What would be commonplace? Alright, now you can, when you're done with that, you can put it aside, we're not gonna look at it for about 40 minutes, and then we're gonna come back to it. Okay, so, uh, but I appreciate your willingness to participate. This morning, we are going to actually just be in the first two verses of 2 Timothy chapter one, and we're going to primarily consider the way in which Paul viewed himself. The way that Paul viewed himself and how that affected his life. So as we begin in 2 Timothy chapter one, verse one, a very familiar portion of scripture in the sense that these Greetings often sound very familiar. In Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, Paul identifies himself in this way. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that's in Christ Jesus. So let's begin by looking at Paul identifies himself in his name. Paul refers to himself as Paul. This is the way that he refers to himself in all his New Testament letters. But I want you to remember for the sake of this particular message that Paul is not his given name. That's not the name that he had at birth. His given name is Saul. Saul, we are told, uh, by Paul, was born of the tribe of Benjamin. It tells us that in Philippians. we just been in Philippians. It said he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. Probably, since his name was Saul, that he was named after, or in honor of, or at least in the lineage of King Saul. If you remember from First Samuel chapter nine, King Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin as well. So that would have been his heritage. That would have been the honored person in their family, in their tribe. And so, down through the generations, there probably were a lot of Sauls. And he was one, following in this great Jewish tradition. How Saul came to be known as Paul, we really don't know. We know that Simon was given the name Peter by Jesus. In John 1 it says he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So Jesus gave the name of Peter to Simon. But nowhere in the scripture does it tell us that Jesus gave Saul the name Paul. He was not even known as Paul immediately upon his conversion. Jesus still refers to him as Saul when Jesus sent Ananias to him in a vision. Remember, uh, Saul is out to persecute the people. He's on his way to Damascus. On the way to Damascus, he sees a bright light. It's a heavenly vision. He sees the resurrected Jesus. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you kicking against the the goads? And at that point, Saul comes to faith. Ananias is a, as a result of seeing that bright light, Paul, Saul is blinded, and he's blind for three days, and Ananias is sent to him to cure him of his blindness. Jesus still refers to Saul as Saul when the vision speaks to Ananias. Rise and go to the street called Straight in the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. Ananias did not give Saul the name Paul. Even after Ananias goes and sees him and heals him of his blindness, he still refers to him as Saul, Acts nine seventeen. So Ananias departed and entered the house, laying his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, Lord Jesus, who appeared to you. So now he's talking about the converted Saul, he refers to him as Brother Saul. The Lord appeared unto you, but still Saul, and not Paul. Saul is not referred to as Paul, even as he is sent out on the first missionary journey. In Acts chapter 13, verse 1, it says this. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manion, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So Saul is gathered with the church at Antioch, and they are praying. And as they pray, the Holy Spirit tells them that they are to send out individuals on this first missionary journey. And so I read Acts Chapter 13, starting at verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So now a period of time has passed. Quite a period of time has passed. He's already converted. He's already been worshiping the Lord. And now... He's being commissioned and sent out on the first missionary journey, and he is still referred to as Saul. It is not until Saul, Saul is standing before a Roman proconsul that Saul is finally called Paul. It happens in Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 7. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elemas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. That's when we're first introduced to Saul as Paul. From then on, without exception, he is referred to as Paul, not Saul. And I say without exception, the one exception is in Acts when, when uh, Paul is referring to his conversion, when he gives his testimony about the road to Damascus, he uses the word, he uses the name Saul, uh, quoting what took place, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But other than the two times in which he's giving his testimony, from then on, Saul is Paul. Paul is a Roman name and means small. Some have suggested that Paul adopted this name for himself because he saw himself as little in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, it's kind of like John who said, he must increase but I must decrease. He, it may simply have been a descriptive name since he is described in church history as being very short in stature. And so small could really refer to his his, uh, physical stature and kind of been a nickname. Whatever the case, whatever the case, it should not be lost that Paul was a name that would identify him with the Gentiles as opposed to the Jews. Now why is that? Why is that? Paul's ministry was to the Gentiles. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11. For which I was appointed a preacher, and an apostle, and teacher. 1 Timothy 2.27. For this I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles, of faith and truth. 2 Timothy 4.17. For this I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, uh, uh, excuse me, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through the message might be fully proclaimed, all the Gentiles might hear. In the book of Galatians, Paul specifically says that he was an apostle to the Gentiles and that Peter was an apostle to the Jews. Galatians 2 8. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. Thus, Paul chose to identify with the Gentiles to whom he was willingly giving up his Jewish heritage. This was a purposeful change that was taking place so that Paul would identify with the Gentiles. He is no longer going to use his Jewish name. We were in Philippians not just very long ago. And in Philippians, chapter 3, Paul says this, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I am more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ." For the sake of Christ, he did not exalt his heritage. For the sake of Christ, he did not reflect on all the Jewish privileges that he enjoyed. For the sake of Christ, he in fact lived like a Gentile. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those who are under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law, but under the law of Christ. That I may win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. The Apostle Paul purposefully adopted a Gentile lifestyle in order to reach the Gentiles. Many people know of the story of Hudson Taylor. Uh, Hudson Taylor went to China. One of the things that really set Hudson Taylor apart and gave him a great success in China was that he adopted the lifestyle of the Chinese. He dressed like a Chinaman. He acted like a Chinaman. He fully identified with the people that he was sent to reach. Here we have Paul fully identifying with the Gentiles whom God had sent to reach. All right, so he's identifying with the Gentiles. Secondly, Paul identified himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. An apostle simply means a sent one. But apostle also had a technical term, which was that an apostle was one who had been sent by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Okay, That had been directly commissioned by Jesus Christ. Paul was uniquely commissioned for he was not commissioned like all the other apostles were in the earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, but he was commissioned on the road to Damascus. And he saw the risen Jesus. And the risen Jesus sent the apostle Paul. He says in 1 Corinthians 15:8, 8, last, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appointed also to me. He appointed also to me. Paul identified himself as one who was sent by Jesus Christ in keeping with the will of God. Notice verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, now by the will of God. This was his authority. He was sent by Jesus Christ, but it also speaks of his duty. That is, that he was sent by Jesus Christ. In verse 11, again he says, for which I was appointed a preacher an apostle, and a teacher. That's how Paul thought of himself. He thought of himself as an apostle sent by Jesus Christ to accomplish the will of God. All of that in keeping with the life that Jesus gives. Notice verse 1. According to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. This life came through the gospel. 2 Timothy 1, verses 9 and 10. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He talks about this new life that he received through the gospel. One that was based on the purpose and grace of God. Then he says, verse 11, this life in the gospel has brought a dramatic change to Paul's life, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. So on the road to Damascus, his life was dramatically altered and changed. From that moment on, he was an apostle, he was a teacher. He was a preacher. Why all of this? Well, some people think it's strange that in a personal letter, where Paul refers to Timothy as his beloved son, that in this personal letter he begins with a very impersonal uh, introduction, if you will. Why does he say to this very close associate, this person that he knows extremely well, This individual that he is uh, longing to see, as we saw last week, who's the most precious person to him on the face of the earth, why does he start with his formal greeting, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God? I submit to you that's not strange at all, for that's how he viewed himself. That's who he was. That's how he thought of himself. This is the regular way. This is the universal way in which Paul started his letters. Again, that's how he thought of himself. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. That defined who he was. That's how He viewed his person. That is how Paul understood all his circumstances. He understood that he was in prison for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, of which he was appointed a preacher. He viewed life through those lenses. Everything in his life, including his relationships, were viewed through the lens of Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, so that in this unique relationship that he had to Timothy, where Timothy is his beloved son in the Lord, he still views this relationship that he has to Timothy primarily through the lens of Paul the Apostle, of Jesus Christ by the will of God. It defined everything that he did. It defined everything that he thought. It was the one prism through which he viewed the entirety of life. He was an apostle sent by Christ to do the will of God. Now let's look at the recipient, Timothy. Paul's address to Timothy is given to us in verse two. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. Timothy, that's how he's referred to everywhere in the scriptures, nothing unusual about that. But it tells us here that that Paul referred to Timothy as a son. Uh, The ESB uh, translates this, my beloved child. Uh, It's interchangeable, son, child. same, uh, well I say interchangeable uh, son is literally euios, child here is is technos, but uh, same idea same idea Um, Paul referred to Timothy as a son or as a child why? what does that mean? how are we to understand that? well first Timothy was not the biological son of Paul we know that Acts 16.1 tells us, Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of Jewish women, who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So we don't know his father by name. We do know that he was a Greek. He was not a Jew. So Paul is not his physical father. The father-son relationship in scripture is often used in the sense of the one who leads a person to the Lord is the father, and the one who comes to know the faith is the spiritual son. So many, many times in Scripture, the father-son relationship is speaking of the person who leads another person to the Lord. For example, Paul referred to Onesimus in the book of Philemon as his son. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Again, depending on the translation, ESV makes all these child. The other translations make them my son. Paul referred to Titus as a son in the faith. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Even the Corinthian believers as a whole, Paul referred to as sons, 1 Corinthians 4, 15. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Paul says to the Corinthian believers, you have a unique relationship to me, you have a unique responsibility to me, for I am your father in the faith, and you are my sons in the faith. However, the Apostle Paul was not Timothy's spiritual father in the faith in the sense that Paul led Timothy to the Lord. He didn't. Timothy knew the Lord before he ever met the Apostle Paul. We're told that in Acts chapter 16. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. It tells us that he was a believer. tells us that he was a disciple. Verse 2, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So uh, Paul decides then to take this young man on the missionary journey with him. My point being that he didn't lead him to the Lord. We don't know for sure, but most likely uh, he was brought up as a child in the faith. Second Timothy one five says, I remind you of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. He might well have been led to the Lord by his grandmother or by his mother. It tells us later in 2 Timothy that he knew the scriptures from a child. Don't know exactly when he came to faith, but we know it wasn't by the Apostle Paul. So, he's not his physical son, and he's not his spiritual son in the sense that he led him to the Lord. So, in what sense is he his son? This actually is pretty important. It lays the foundation for the book of 2 Timothy. So in what sense was Timothy Paul's son? Uh, Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would. Back to Philippians. We were there just a little while ago. I didn't make much of this at that point, but this morning I am. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2.22. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. So the way in which Paul is using the relationship of son to Timothy is not a physical son. And not one who he had led to the Lord, but one who he had a relationship with that is like a father and a son who serve together in a family business. Uh, In the New Testament era, even more so than now, although it still happens today, Uh, There were apprenticeships. There would be people that would go to work for other people to learn their job. It was on-the-job training, and they would be apprentices. They would be employees. They would be hired. Uh, And they would be taught the skills of, say, a blacksmith or carpentry or whatever the case may be. And they would have a unique relationship, and they would serve together, and they would learn. But that was a different relationship of a father and a son. Oftentimes, a son would take over the family business, uh, would take over the family trade. If you were a carpenter, you would be the son of the carpenter, and, and you would learn about carpentry. Okay? If you were a farmer, you'd be the son of the farmer, you'd learn about farming. And it was normative that you would have this individual that was your child, and you would rear that child to take over when... You were gone. Second Timothy is about a book in which Timothy excuse me, Paul's about ready to die. We saw that last week. His departure is at hand. He is going to be uh, martyred for his faith. He 's writing a book to Timothy, who is his son, The person who's going to take over when he's dead and gone. The person who's gonna carry on this weighty ministry, Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, is now passing on the duties and responsibilities to his beloved son, Timothy. He'd already been training Timothy. Timothy is probably in Ephesus, when this letter is written, already (coughs) serving Paul Already was dispatched to Philippi where he was ministering in Paul's stead. Paul had poured his life into this young man already on the missionary journeys. Now Paul is about ready to die. And this is the formal handoff to Timothy, his son, the one who has been trained, the one who has been nurtured, the one who has been developed, the one who has this unique relationship to the Apostle Paul, and Paul is about to say to him, these reigns are yours. Paul is writing to Timothy as one who is going to follow in his footsteps. Second Timothy 1.11, for which I was appointed a preacher, apostle, and a teacher. Timothy had been handpicked by Paul. 2 Timothy 1.6. For this reason I remind you to fan the flame, the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Okay. So the Apostle Paul had laid his hands on the person of Timothy. We have our elders, that when we have a new elder, lay their hands on the other elders. It's, it's a symbolic way of passing on duties and responsibilities to others. Paul had already done that in the past. He reminds him that he had laid his hands upon Timothy. That Timothy had been designated for this responsibility for a long period of time. It would come as no shock to the church. It would come to no shock to the people of God that Timothy is going to be the next Paul. He's not going to be an apostle in the same sense, but he's going to be the preacher, teacher. He's going to be that individual that takes on the responsibilities. And so he says to him in verse 13, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. This good deposit that is entrusted to him is the gospel. But it's more than just the gospel. It's the gospel in its fullest sense. He has responsibility for the churches. He has responsibility for its truth. He has responsibility for its defense. Paul says, this has been entrusted to you. It's yours. This is a, a weighty, weighty, Responsibility, and we're going to find out that that Timothy's response to that is fear. It's fear, and rightly so. Rightly so. Who is going to be able to fill the footprints, the footsteps, of the Apostle Paul? Timothy has to, and then. He writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, you then, my child, okay, my apprentice, but more than that, you who have been developed, you who have been brought up for this very point in time, you who I have invested my life into you, you who are now taking over the, the family business, which happens to be the ministry, you, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who'll be able to teach others also. So, Timothy, you have to identify young men. And you need to entrust to them what I entrusted to you. The things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, Now, you pass that on to them. Find people that are reliable. Find people that are trustworthy. Find people that are dependable. Find people that are genuine in their faith. Find faithful men that you can pass on this gospel and this ministry when you are gone. That is the heart of the book of 2 Timothy. It is the passing on the faith from generation to generation to generation. The equipping, the enabling, the nurturing, the readying, so that the next generation is going to have the gospel in its clarity, in its fullness, and the church goes forward, and it meets with great success. Timothy was to carry on the work that Paul had called him to do. Thus, even this very unique father and son relationship, Paul's view of himself as an apostle, still stood front and center. For as a son, he was running him to be the preacher and the teacher to the Gentiles and carry on the ministry that Paul had. Okay, application. Application. application, pull out your paper, pull out your paper. I'm not going to do much with what you, how do you refer to yourself in terms of nickname or whatever. I threw that in there because of Paul and referring himself to Paul as opposed to Timothy, but maybe you have a purpose in the way in which you reveal yourself to others. Uh, I, perp- I personally, when I uh, introduce myself to someone else, I don't refer to myself as a pastor, uh, for reasons, okay? Uh, uh, it carries some weight that uh, I don't want it to carry. But it's interesting here. This is what I want you to think about. what did you write as your answer to the question, what, what did you, how do you primarily, how did I word that? When introducing yourself, what is your identity? How do you usually think of yourself? A political affiliation, Republican, others, their work, plumber, teacher, mom, dad, sister, brother? Uh, I wonder, I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands, Did you say Christian? That the way I primarily think of myself, when I think of who I am and what I'm about and what what I'm doing, does Christian come to mind? Does that define me? Is that my prism, is that my lens by which I view all of life, I'm a Christian? And I view my relationships, I view my duties, my responsibilities, I view my church, I view my work, I view everything through this lens, I'm a Christian. First and foremost, that's who I am. I'm I'm a Christian. And if you didn't write that, I'd like you to ponder on how life might be different if you had if if the way which we really view ourselves is as i'm a christian first and foremost okay yeah i'm a father i'm a christian father yeah i'm i'm a pastor i'm a christian pastor yeah i'm i'm you know and but but i'm a christian okay my political alliance whatever i am a christian the second question was How do other people view you? How would they describe you? If they were going to identify you, would they refer to you as the football player, the tall one, the smart one, the shy one, the person in the choir, the plumber, the butcher? What would it take for them to think of you primarily as a Christian? What would that mean? What would that require? Think about it. Why do people think of others as the football player? Or the person in the choir? Or their activities, their, their duties? What, what would it take if the first thing that comes into people's minds about us, if they were gonna find, well, he's that Christian guy. She's that Christian girl. And would that have a positive or negative connotation in your mind? Would you even want to be primarily known as a Christian? Is that how you want to be thought of? Is that how you want to be identified? Paul writes to Timothy and says, Don't be ashamed of me. Or the gospel? Timothy is a great Christian worker. Why would he ever say, don't be ashamed of me or the gospel? Paul thinks of himself as an apostle sent by Christ by the will of God. He's inviting Timothy to think of himself as a preacher, teacher, teacher, a person who is called of God to do just that. And then, thirdly, if you wanted people to think of you as a Christian, first and foremost, what would that require on your part? How would that look? Differently in the way that you relate to people. The things you talk about. The activities you gauge in. Maybe even the way you sign letters. Even the way you self-identify. In introducing yourself to people. Okay. Um, this reading says an awful lot for it reveals to us the heart of Paul and his concern in passing on the faith to his beloved child the one that he handpicked the one that's been serving by his side faithfully for years and now saying, Timothy I'm about ready to die I'm passing on to you, and you need to pass on to the next generation the things which I have spoken to you. This book is about generational faith. The faith that first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now in you. three generations of faith. Do you see your primary role as a parent? As being a Christian parent? And of all the things that you want to ready your children for to enter the world, the workplace, responsibilities, the duties, all the things you want to teach them, maybe you want to teach them how to cook, how to sew, Maybe you want to teach them how to hunt. Maybe you want to teach them how to fish. Maybe you want to teach them how to work. Maybe you want to teach them a a strong work ethic. Of all the things that you want to pass on to your children, where does faith rank? Where does faithfulness to God and His church rank? What do you want them to do with their lives? What do you want them to be? Your child. The one you are nurturing to grow up to be like you. And I wonder what our children think of us. If our children had to describe us, how would they think of us? Would they think of us in terms of our party affiliation? Would they think of us in terms of our jobs? Would they think of us in terms of our hobbies, our sports? Or would they think of mom and dad in their Christian faith? Would they think of them as their example? Their teacher of God's word. Paul who formerly was Saul only referred to himself as Paul for he was sent by God to be a preacher and a teacher to Gentiles that's who identified with he left the Jewish heritage behind in every circumstance now he's looking through that lens and as he's approaching death his greatest concern is passing on that ministry to his son. Not a biological son. Not a person that he led to the faith. But a person that he brought under his wing as an apprentice and more than an apprentice. A son to take over when his dad is no longer there. May we identify as a Christian, and with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your many blessings and goodnesses to us. Help us, our Father, surely not to be ashamed of the Gospel or of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to think of ourselves more and more as a child of God. Not just a Christian in the sense of a religion that's different from Judaism or Buddhism or the Islamic religion but people that are truly born again people that are truly the children of God people that have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and O oh Lord may we view all of life through the duties and privileges and responsibilities of being that child Lord help us to see ourselves as Christians in the truest and fullest sense of that word and then help us to want to make that known to others